also, uh, this morning we have a special guest speaker with us this morning. We have Matt Davis and his family are with us uh, in from London. Now, these are uh, a missionary family that we support. Uh, they do work in London. They've decided just to move to London and, and live on mission there in the same way that we're called to live on mission here in our context. And, uh, and so they do fantastic work there. I'm sure he'll tell you just a little bit about it. Uh, but uh, welcome the Davises to church this morning. We couldn't be happier to have you guys with us. So come on forward. Well, I must say that I have a, a little bit of fear and trepidation because it appears that I'm speaking between two arcs of the covenant on both sides. Maybe that joke's been used here before, but I just have these flashbacks of Raiders of the Ark, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and something's going to happen, so I will be on my best behavior. Uh, but it is, uh, it is great to be here. Uh, we are here with my family, um, my wife Kimberly, and our kids Tyler, Hallie, and Alex. I won't bring them up to embarrass them, but you are welcome to embarrass them at the break. Um, but we are extremely excited to be here. As was mentioned, we live in uh, London, uh, which has uh, been a great joy. We've been there for uh, three years, and we just uh, received our visa renewal to be there another three years beyond that, and we have no exit strategy. Um, we plan to make that um, our permanent home. So I do want to thank um, all of you. I want to thank the church just for your, first of all, for your prayerful support of what is going on in London, which I'll, I'll speak a bit about. Um, and also your financial support. Um, truly, without uh, your assistance and coming alongside us, we wouldn't be able to do um, what we were able to do. So we are so very thankful for that. Um, and you also may uh, remember as well, Molly Myers uh, joined us a couple uh, years ago now um, to assist with a project we were doing as a Christian uh, musical that performed at Wembley Arena for two nights, and she was uh, assisted in that process and whatnot. So there's also um, that connection. Uh, I do want to just mention real briefly, just as a point of introduction, as far as what we do in London. As you can imagine, in a city of 8.6 million people and growing, it's supposed to be over 9 million by 2020, uh, there are thousands of opportunities uh, for things that people can do as far as ministry is concerned. Uh, primarily, we're working in three areas. Uh, one is in church planting. Uh, we work uh, with a number of organizations that are actively planting churches in London. Now, you may think, well, isn't London full of churches? Uh, they, London is full of churches, lots of very small, uh, big buildings with very few people um, in them. And so there is tremendous need there. Only roughly 4% of those 8.6 million people are actually involved in an evangelical church such as this. So that leaves roughly over 8 million people who are not involved in an evangelical Christian church in London. So there is tremendous work to be done. We also have an opportunity within church planting to, to work at a brand new church plant that started in September called the Globe Church. It's literally... Uh, very close to the Globe Theater, the Tate Modern Museum, across the Thames River from St. Paul's. So as, as you can imagine, it's a, it's a beautiful location. Uh, but it was very strategically put in that area because of the demographic of young professionals and um, university students. Uh, my wife and I, who are in our 40s, that's all I'll tell you, uh, we are old at our church. Probably 80% of the people at our church um, are in their 20s, which is fantastic. We started with 25. I am not the lead pastor. We're just on the core team assisting. Um, but 
Uh, we started with 25 in September, and we've had as many as 120, 130 people over the last couple months. So it's extremely exciting. There's some people that have come to faith, people that are being trained up and discipled, so there's some great things going on. Uh, we also are involved in sports and arts ministry. In both of those things, one of the things we're doing is coming alongside Christian community centers and helping them launch platforms that they can use for years to come that don't require our assistance, ultimately, uh, but on, that are on council estates. In London, council estates are basically public housing blocks, and London is full of them in every neighborhood. So you have a lot of immigrants, a lot of refugees, a lot of people who are poor, a lot of the elderly uh, and children. And we help Christian community centers launch platforms to be able to use sports and the arts as a bridge into their community so that ultimately the hope of the gospel can be shared with them. And so we do that. Um, we're also still involved with Love Beyond, as I mentioned that Molly was involved with. Um, some exciting things are happening with Love Beyond. They're actually right now just in negotiations for it to come on tour in the United States for one to two years. So um, that's a really exciting thing. So uh, we'll keep you informed if it comes to uh, this area because it's definitely well worth seeing. Uh, we also do discipleship with uh, some West End professionals. Uh, Love Beyond opened up a lot of doors for us in that regard. And so we work with people that have been in Phantom of the Opera and Les Mis and those types of things on the West End just doing a lot of gospel relationships. Some people who don't know Christ and are desperately searching, some who are young Christians and believers struggling with a variety of things, and so we're privileged to do that as well. Um, we're also involved in, in American football ministry. Uh, American football is the fastest-growing sport in the U.K. There's over 80 teams just in the British American Football uh, Association alone. I help coach a team. Uh, we have interns that actually come over and play uh, and that are able to share their faith um, with uh, players that they're with. So just a lot of exciting things that are going on in church planting, in sports ministry, and arts ministry. So thank you for supporting uh, those types of work. And thank you for, um, you know, just continuing to pray, pray for us in that regard. You know, as I, I was thinking, uh, Jeff and I decided that, that I was going to, to speak a number of months ago, and I, and I you know, wondered what, what I wanted to, to, to possibly deal with. And there, there's been a particular word on my mind that for quite some time, and that is the word perspective. Now, we might use the word perspective in a variety of ways. Common phrases for perspective. Well, that's your perspective. That's kind of code for telling somebody, I don't agree with you. That's your perspective. That's your point of view. I have a different way of looking at it, whether that's politics or your favorite sports teams or, or whatever. We say things like, well, it's all in your perspective. In other words, well, if you just kind of have a little ch different change in attitude, if you just look at it a different way, you might, you might kind of see this differently and you might have a different attitude about it. Or that's an interesting perspective. Now, in British speak, if you say that's an interesting perspective to somebody and you are in the UK, that means you, you, that is complete rubbish. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard you say. But I'm going to be very polite and very British and tell you that is so interesting that you have that perspective. But that basically means you're stupid. So we try to avoid being told we have interesting perspectives, um, although sometimes our perspectives are viewed with a little... Uh, uh, little wonder. So one of the things that I just want us to be able to focus on in our short time together, that as Christians, 
I think our perspective is one of the most important things we bring to the table. Our perspective of the world, our perspective of our lives, our perspective as our community gives us tremendous opportunities in our relationships. We can bring hope. I keep thinking and processing through the sermon as we were singing and thinking about the name of, of the church, Living Hope. We bring a perspective to the world that is desperately needed. I think you can all agree with me. It doesn't take long to watch the news and recognize all the things that are going on. But to be able to bring hope to the table, to be able to bring a right perspective on what is true and what is pure and those types of things, I think is one of the greatest things we can bring to relationships with people uh, that we have. And when we fail to bring that right perspective to the table, we miss out on opportunities. Because I think perspective is one of the great things that we can give people. Let's first of all look at just a general definition of perspective. A particular attitude towards or way of regarding something, a, a, a point of view. It's the way we choose to look at something. It's the way that we see something. And I, I chose to um, bring a little Disney into the, um, into, the, into the talk today. So how many of you have seen the movie Ratatouille? So there's some good context here. It is one of, he's going to come up there in a second. There we go. You're wondering where, when I was going to bring Disney into the. In Ratatouille, just a, a quick, quick summary. I won't, I won't, you know, bore you with all the details. But basically, there is a rat named Remy. Now, Remy doesn't like being an ordinary rat. Remy's a foodie, kind of like myself, which you can probably tell. He enjoys food. He loves to cook. And he, is, he does not want to live the life of the rest of the rats simply scavenging for food wherever he can find it out of the dumpster. Well, Remy ultimately teams up with this young dishwasher named Linguini. You got that? The rat, Remy, Linguini's the dishwasher. And the combination of the two, working at one of Paris's finest restaurants, is that... Linguini becomes a master chef because Remy lives in the top of his chef's hat, pulling his hair, and as he pulls his hair, he's able to cook these amazing meals. You get the picture? Okay. So then, at this restaurant in Paris, the villain emerges, who the villain is behind me. His name is Anton Ego. Okay? He's an ugly guy, isn't he? Anton Ego is a food critic. And Anton Ego wants to bring down this restaurant. It's one of his life goals to bring down this restaurant. And as the whole movie progresses, this this once failing restaurant is being rejuvenated by Remy the Rat and Linguini the Dishwasher. And it's becoming this wonderful restaurant again. And Anton Ego can't stand it that this is once again becoming this wonderful place. And so he visits the restaurant on a number of occasions. And this actual picture on the screen here is when he comes for his final meal. And he's ready to really take down the restaurant once and for all. And this is what he says. You know what I'm craving? A little perspective. That's it. I'd like some fresh 
clear, well-seasoned perspective. Can you suggest a good wine to go with that? Now, that's an odd thing to request when someone takes your order. I dare you today, if you go out to eat afterwards, to tell the waitress or the waiter, I'd like some perspective, please. They, if, they might look at you a little puzzled. If they've seen the movie, maybe they'll you know, catch the joke. But this is what he asked for. And basically what he's doing is, wow me, surprise me, make me think completely differently about my experience here today. And what they concoct in the back is this very simple dish where the name of the movie comes from, ratatouille. It's simply a vegetable dish. It's a peasant dish. And the moment he bites into it, he's taken back to his home when he was a child and his mother bringing him this dish that she had prepared after he had skinned his knee and his elbows playing outside and it brought great comfort to him. And the moment that he eats it, which is the picture, he all of a sudden has perspective. Everything had changed. Why he came to the restaurant, how he was viewing things, it brought him back to the place. It recentered him. Now, as we look at the that world events and politics and things going on around the world, don't you think our world is in desperate need of perspective? A fresh, well-seasoned perspective. If I mention cities like Munich, Paris, Nice, Istanbul, Orlando, Dallas, Baton Rouge... If we look at presidential races and the things being thrown back and forth, if we take a city like London, which if you've been following what's going on, it's not boring politically right now in the UK with Brexit and the referendum to leave the European Union and then the prime minister stepping down and then a week later somebody else becoming prime minister and people resigning, the economy dropping, the value of the pound decreasing, which I will say helps us tremendously, um, there's all kinds of things going on. And as I said, you watch the news and we are in need of a fresh, well-seasoned perspective. People are asking in a world full of complexity, of tragedy, of, of confusing events, they're looking for something. They're, they're looking for a foundational point. They're looking for something that they can hold on to, a fresh perspective that will help them sort through their life. Not answer every question, but to help them make sense of what is going on around them. Let's take a look at our passage for today, 2 Corinthians 4. If you want to turn there with me, it's on page 965 uh, in the Bibles that are provided, but we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. 
In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, which ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring with you in t- bring us with you into his presence for it is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people it may also increase thanksgiving to the glory of God so we do not lose heart though our outer self is wasting away our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that we have in you. Lord, I just pray now that that you would speak through me, that I would be um, that empty vessel uh, that can be simply filled up by you and poured out this morning. Lord, may your word speak to us and your Holy Spirit work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there's a lot in that passage. We could spend a couple weeks, actually, and I'm not going to do that. But I want to hit some highlights of this particular passage that I think are important. I think the first thing to tackle, which is always good with any passage, is to look at why, uh, or when it starts, why it's saying what it does in relation to the verses before it. And it talks about in the first verse, therefore having this ministry by the mercy of God. So what is this ministry? Now, it, it gives a number of phrases to explain that. But one of the things that says is we have the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Now, I doubt that if any one of us were asked, what is your ministry? We would say, well, it's the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. It's not a phrasing that we would use. But I think if we break this down, it's in a sense that the light bulb has come on for us. One of the things this passage says is that The God of this age, Satan, has veiled the truth from many. But for us, by God's grace and mercy, 
as followers of Jesus Christ, the light bulb has come on and the realization of what Jesus has done on the cross, coming to save us from our sins, dying on the cross, buried and and rising again. We have this tremendous hope. And ultimately, our ministry is the proclamation of this light. The proclamation of the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Think about this for a moment. We have the answer. Now, some may say that sounds arrogant. But we must have confidence in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and in what he has done and in his word that we have the answer. When people are searching for answers and trying to make sense of the world by God's grace and mercy, the light bulb has come on and we have the answer. People search for the meaning of life. They gather bits and pieces from other religions and philosophies and methodologies and ideas and education. That's one of the things that we see all the time in people that we have relationship with in London. People in the acting community, people in the financial community, wherever it may be. They take bits and pieces. Because people are desperately trying to sort out, how do I make sense of this? How do I live my life appropriately? How do I make a difference? And so they take kind of this smorgasbord. It's like they're at a buffet and they just pick and choose. I'm going to take a little from Buddhism here. I'm going to take a little from Christianity here. I'm going to take a little from science here. And I'm going to piece it all together. But the problem is they get the puzzle on the table and they're just missing pieces. And so you get a question like a good friend of mine asked me one day who has taken this buffet approach. And he says, how do I raise my kids right? And the reason he asked that is in what he has taken and grasped for, he's left wanting, not exactly knowing, well, what do I do to raise my kids right? What do I do to have a really good marriage? What do I, how do I go about making a difference in my life? Because what I have grabbed for doesn't seem to be plugging into those holes. We have the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And we get to share the greatest story. Now, I can imagine all of you can think of someone. I think of my grandfather who told the same stories over and over again at the dinner table, but we always loved them. I would imagine you have somebody in your life that they have told this fishing story a hundred times, or they've told a story of how they met, how they met their wife, or they, they've got a great story and it never gets old. Maybe even have movies like that, that you can just watch them over and over again, and you never get tired of it. We as Christians, as followers of Christ, we possess the greatest story. Our church in London, the Globe Church, our tagline, if you were to go on our website, says, We are a church made up of many stories, but we are seeking to understand the one story. The greatest story, a story of love, of treason, of redemption, of joy, the story of God and his word. The greatest story. And one of the things that's contained in this passage is that Paul recognizes in writing this, 
he's got a pretty good gig in terms of what he gets to communicate. Because it even goes back and talks about Moses. Moses had to be a dispenser of the law. For those of you who have ever taught, you know there's that point in the first few days of school where you've got to point to the chart, say, here are the rules, here are the consequences, you do this, you do that. Moses brought down the law. He was with the old covenant. Paul recognized he got to bring about, be a part of sharing the new covenant, a covenant of grace, where Moses was the dispenser of the law as God commanded Paul was able to be a dispenser of grace. That's what we get to do in the world that we live in. We get to be dispensers of grace to people around us. You know, in London, our, oftentimes our greatest obstacle in relationships is breaking down stereotypes. Stereotypes of being an American... Yes, not everyone in the world thinks we're wonderful. I just, I don't want to break that to you. But there are stereotypes. And, and add to that, Christian Americans. Wow, double whammy. Okay? So don't let this offend you, because this is, I'll take this upon myself. But before people get to know us, uh, here's a, gener, a general stereotype. Loud, obnoxious, Arrogant, gun-toting, opinionated, bigoted, homophobic, and generally against all forms of fun. (laughs) Now, my wife would probably agree that definition probably isn't too off for some people that we meet. But the thing that always reminds me of is that too often as Christians, we are known for what we are against rather than what our hope is in. I think one of the biggest culprits of that tends to be social media. Something like Facebook. And people know us for all the things, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't agree with this, I don't, they did, they used this cup at this store, they did this, they did it. We're known for the things that we're against. We tend to live in the law, in a sense, rather than being dispensers of grace and hope. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. We share, have the opportunity to share the greatest story and to give people the right perspective. This is why Paul says at the beginning of this passage that, that hope is not lost. We can, we can rest in the fact that there is something far greater no matter what we experience in this life. And it's about our right perspective. Regarding this ministry, it also states that what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. It says, we've renounced disgraceful underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. But by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. It's not about us. When we make it about us, when we make the message about us, then we're very tempted to tamper with God's word. 
it would be very tempting for Pastor Jeff to simply say, I'd like, we'd like more people, so I'm going to water down the message a little bit, make it a little less intrusive, maybe skip some things in, in the Bible that are a little more controversial. But that becomes about self. That becomes about kingdoms. What we proclaim is not about ourselves, but about Jesus Christ as Lord. It's the unaltered, untampered with, not watered down truth. Paul says in Acts 20, 27, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I didn't leave anything out. Even the difficult parts I shared. Just like in the context of this, it it refers to um, taking the wine merchants of the day, adding water to the wine to make it go further and being able to sell more. This message that we have, this perspective is all about Jesus and it's not about us. Then it goes on to say in verse 7, it talks about our treasure. There we go. You're thinking, that's Thorn Oakenshield, right? Oh, blank stares. My kids, they're good. Thank you. There you go. Thorn Oakenshield. Well done. Now, for you, you know, Hobbit Lord of the Rings fans, this is Thorin Oakenshield when he finally is able to enter back into the Great Hall. And it's full of gold, more gold than you can ever imagine. It's been protected by the dragon smog. But the gold has a, has a draw on him. And ultimately, he becomes sick. And he makes this comment, this gold is ours and ours alone. On my life, I will not part with a single coin, not one piece of it. We have a tremendous treasure. And when it talks about this jars of clay, it's referring to the treasure that is within this jar of clay. You know, London is certainly a city full of earthly treasure. It's the most influential city in the world. It's the world's banking center. It's the most diverse city in the world with over 300 languages spoken in British, in London public schools. It's a center of culture and entertainment. But as I said at the beginning, in a city of 8.6 billion people, roughly only 4% of 8.6 million people recognize the treasure that is in Jesus Christ. We also live in a day and age that we have opportunities to build on this treasure and our understanding of this treasure, our understanding of God's word. We have churches, we have podcasts, we have books that we can read, we can listen to Christian radio, we have all these things. But too often, if we are honest with ourselves, we become like Thorin and we just gather it to ourselves. We just gather this treasure. And sometimes I think we even become hoarders of sorts of this knowledge and understanding. And we don't, we do not share this treasure with others. Now let's look at this jars of clay for a moment. Insignificant, unattractive, cracked, chipped, leaky, broken vessels containing a treasure whose worth is far beyond measure. Can any of you relate to those statements? 
insignificant, unattractive, cracked, chip, leaky, broken. I think at times we all relate to being that. You know, jars of clay were used, they were working tools. They weren't used to display beautiful bouquets of flowers. They were working tools to be able to carry things around. And sometimes I wonder, why did God choose such a vessel? But then we look at people like the disciples, and he uses that. So why does he do that? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. It's not about us keeping our jar full. I think that's one of the things we fall into is we think I got to keep my jar full. That's what this is about. I got to keep it full. I got to keep, I got to keep feeling. I got to keep having this. I got to keep adding to my jar. The jar is intended to be poured out and then refilled This treasure that we have, this ministry that we have is intended for God to keep filling up and us pouring out. It's not about filling it up so much that it overflows and people get our overflow. It's not about ministering with our overflow. It's about taking what is in our jars. And like it says in the passage, it will be renewed every day. Don't hold on to what's been put By God into your jar, pour it out. He fills it, pour it out. He fills it. That's what it's for. That treasure is designed in that way so that we can keep sharing the greatest story and perspective. It says in here is it recognizes and Paul has every right to state this. We are afflicted, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always dying but never lifeless. We've all felt those ways at different times in our lives. You may be feeling this morning sitting there, afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. But Paul in the midst of this says, but we're not crushed, we're not driven to despair, we're not forsaken, we're not destroyed because our perspective is right. Because we recognize that what we have here is temporary and what we have is eternal and the weight of glory ahead of us far exceeds anything that we will possibly encounter. And even Paul goes on to say that the afflictions that he is facing, they only increase his joy. They only add to what the learning of the church can have by watching Paul and the people that were with him suffer they can be encouraged in watching him that he has not been crushed, he's not driven to despair, and he's not forsaken. We're always dying, but never lifeless. Now, at first, that might seem like, that's kind of harsh. But look at our world around us. Our world around us is not getting better. It's dying around us. Our bodies, I would like to think that my 43-year-old body could do what it was doing 20 years ago when I was playing college baseball and I could do things. It doesn't do the things that I used to be able to do, and it hurts a lot more the days after when I try. But it's never lifeless because of the hope and the glory of Jesus. 
So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Just in closing, focus on these three words. Light, momentary affliction. You might think, what I'm going through is, is far greater than a light, momentary affliction. Paul was able to say that because of his right perspective. What do we know about Paul? In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says this. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Apart from all my issues, I'm really, ner- I'm really anxious and concerned about you, the church. The same person that encountered these afflictions says, for this light, momentary affliction, it's all about perspective. That what we, what we have here in this world is temporary. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean it's not hard. But it's temporary. But the eternal weight of glory that is ahead of us is so far greater than anything we can ever imagine. Compared to that eternal weight of glory, lashes, beaten with rods, shipwrecked, are only light and momentary afflictions. Back to Anton Ego. You know what I'm craving? A little perspective. That's it. I'd like some fresh, clear, well-seasoned perspective. Finally, just as a, a point of review, things that as you go about this week and the coming days that we can all rest in. We have seen the light. What has been veiled is now unveiled the knowledge of the glory of God. We have the greatest story that can ever be told. It's not about us. It's all about him. By God's grace and mercy, he uses broken, cracked, leaky vessels. We are always dying, wearing down the world around us as well, but never lifeless. Our trials are light and momentary in light of eternity in the weight of the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, what a blessing we have in your word. Lord, we thank you by your grace and mercy. 
that you have saved us. By your grace and mercy, you sent your son Jesus to come into this world as a payment for our sins, to die on the cross, to be buried, to rise again, and to return again one day. We have the greatest story. May we not be ashamed to share it. May we take every opportunity to give people a right perspective of the world as they are just searching for answers. May we be more about our hope than about the things that we disagree with. And may we bring all honor and glory to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.